You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Well, the kids are making their way out and to their room. Let me just do a quick review for you. Uh, For last week, we've been in Colossians chapter 3, the last couple of weeks. And last week, we talked about putting on a saintly wardrobe. And that we are able to, because we were chosen before the beginning of time, and dearly loved by our Savior, Jesus Christ, proving our love to us through the cross, his life here on earth, and that when we are in doubt, when we have moments of wonder, of fear, anxiety, of wondering if we're really loved or not, to not consider our feelings, to not consider our circumstance, but to look at the cross. And it's at the cross we see that we are dearly loved and we, are no, we can know for sure without a doubt that we are. He does not change. What he did on the cross does not change. Our feelings will go up and down. Our circumstances might change. But our Savior does not. And because of that, we are able to put on a saintly wardrobe in our attitudes and actions and how we treat others and what we show them. And those actions, those attitudes, those saintly garments, if you will, were compassion and kindness, gentleness, humility, patience. We're to bear with one another, to forgive one another, and above all, to put on love which is a perfect bond of unity, and as we do, the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts. For at the end of the day, we have Christ to be thankful for. And what an opportunity do we have right now, as believers, as a church, to wear this saintly wardrobe, to show others out there, there is hope. There is a source of strength. We do not have to live in fear. And how can we help? How can we make ourselves available to show gentleness, kindness, compassion, humility to those who are living in fear? And so that we would be sensitive in how we talk about it. Some of us may not be fearful at all. Some of us might be thinking that it's all blown out of proportion and not an issue. Maybe that's most of us here this morning because we're here. And yet at the same time, us being confident in that or bold in that could be highly offensive to those who find it very frightening. And so we want to be careful in that with what we do and say with our attitudes and actions. Now this morning we will receive some instruction on some of the elements of our gathering time together. Now I've actually been looking forward to these two verses since last summer, believe it or not. Last summer I went to a conference in Nashville uh, called Sing, and it was all about the singing part, the elemental part of gathering together as a church and, and encouraging in that in our churches and, and specifically to do so through scripture. And so having attended that conference and, and Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery is one of the songs that we've introduced and are singing now, it's, and I learned that song there, and uh, His Mercy is More as we've played on video songs and other hymns and stuff. Uh, modern day hymns written from scripture. 
um, they've, they've been a part of that. And, uh, and this year, by God's grace and whatever's going on in our nation, I'm hoping to take some of our worship team to that same conference again this year and, and just bless them in that. And, but these two verses, since then, I've been like, oh, I can't wait till we get to them. So here we are. Here we are. We'll be in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 of Colossians, if you want to flip there. Um, while you're flipping there, just a short illustrative story. In my construction days, there would sometimes be jobs with no water on the job site. Um, I'm certain that Carlos can relate to that as he constantly is in need of water uh, since he's a mason and oftentimes find yourself working on job sites where the water's not hooked up yet or without water or, the, or whatever the case may be. And so it would take... You know, you'd have to fill up gallon, drums and put them in the back of your truck or five-gallon buckets or whatever. And, and you're just, you're like, okay, how full do I fill it up? Because you know by transportation, whether on foot or by vehicle, some of it's going to spill out. So if I only fill it up halfway, I probably won't lose any, but then I'll have to make that many more trips. If I fill it all the way up, how much will I lose? Will that much more because of inertia and friction? You know, I'm, all these things are run through my mind. So what's the perfect level I can fill these things up to to where it doesn't slosh out too much? I retain more, have less trips back and forth from the job site to the water source. Or maybe you have just carried buckets around your house or your yard or whatever working on things and you fill it up as full as you can and, and you're walking along and it's sloshing out and you know, your knees down, your feet are wet. Well, wet feet is a sure sign of carrying a full bucket, right? And in the same way, when we sing, it's like the overflow of what's inside our heart, especially when we sing to God. So as the water might spill out of a very full bucket, what might spill out of our hearts? As we sing to the Lord. When something is filled up to the brim, it can't help but spill over. Unless you have a superpower like my wife, she can fill things up like where it's almost bubbling over the top. And she can somehow not spill it. Me, if it's like half full, I still spill it. So yes, she's a superhero, just so you guys knew that already. But our passage this morning is referencing this very thing. When our hearts are being filled up with God's word... With the truth of his words, the truth of scriptures, we can't help but spill out praise to him in song. I love it like when we just now, when we sang, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, and at the end, in those certain lines, or Living Hope, the truth of scripture in those songs spill out, and, and people can't help but clap. You know, you, you can't help but sing louder, even if you're off key, it's okay. You can't help but praise or, or raise your arms or kind of bounce on your feet a little bit or, because it's the truth of God's word and you know it to be true and it's spilling out into song. Living a life of praise, worshiping God through everything we do, joyfully, passionately singing to God is a sure sign of a heart full of Scripture. Now if you're willing and able, would you mind to stand with me as we read our two verses this morning. No judgment if you can't. 
And if you cough, there's no judgment either. <laughs> I feel bad for folks with allergies right now, right? Seeing all the memes, like everybody's like, I just can't even clear my throat in public. Should we just all clear our throats at once and get it over with, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So this morning's title is, is Filled to Overflowing. And I've organized it under our two scriptures, just kind of three main points or three headings, if you will, appropriate to help hopefully convey this truth. So the first heading is this, fill up on God's word. We are to fill up on God's word. And, you know, right off the bat, Paul's saying, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. And I've said it before, but it bears repeating. It's been said of John Bunyan that he quoted Scripture so much that if he were to be cut or if he would be pricked, he would bleed Scripture. It's like it was just in him, a part of him, and he quoted it and said it and was in it so much that if you just, like, if you bunked into him, made him cough, he'd like cough out a verse or something. And I just can't help but think how much time in God's word he spent. How much time he spent soaking in the truths of it, marinating in it. Charles Spurgeon described it like this about being immersed in the word of God. Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the word of God and get that word into ourselves. And he goes on and says, As I have seen the silkworm eat into the leaf, and consume it, so ought we to do with the word of the Lord. Not crawl over its surface, but eat right into it until we have taken it into our inmost parts. It is idle merely to let the eye glance over the words or to recollect the poetical expressions or the historic facts, but it is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in scriptural language your very style is fashioned upon scripture models. And what is better still, your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord. I love that last line, that our spirits be flavored with the words of the Lord. And to look a little deeper into the first opening statement of our text, to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us, it means that we would study and memorize the Bible in such a way that it abundantly influences us for good in full measure. That it abundantly influences us for good in full measure. Not a get a taste or a drop. It's no, you're not debating on how full you should fill the bucket up or fill your heart up with scripture. It's fill it up beyond overflowing. It's far more in depth than just simply reading it. Reading it is good, and it's far better than reading anything else out there that we could read. But if we read it like the newspaper or an article online, we, as Spurgeon said, let our eyes merely glance over the words. We are missing out on hearing from God. We are missing out on his peace, his joy, and his will for our lives. 
Oh, that our spirits would be flavored with the words of the Lord. And why is this? Why should we take the time and effort for God's word to abundantly influence us for good outside of God telling us to? Well, first of all, it is how we will grow in knowledge and love for God. How else are you going to understand him better, get to know him more, or grow in your love with him without studying who he is and what he's written and what he has left for us to learn about him and how he speaks to us? It is how we will know what God's will is. How else will we know what God's will is? You know, the the saying of, hey, I'm wondering what God's telling me about this. I wonder what his will is for his life. It's like, well, read the Bible. If you want to hear him audibly speak, read the Bible out loud. It is how we will remain anchored during the life's storms. If we don't know the truth that he is sovereign, that he is all-powerful, he is in control, that he is the great physician, that at the end of the day, he wins, that we can trust in him, we can put our confidence in him, that we don't have to have a spirit of fear. All of those truths in the word, if we don't study those and know those, how are we going to be able to stand strong or hold on to the anchor? When health issues or financial issues or relationship issues or turmoils of things that can come and affect us. Did you know that according to Lifeway Research, only 45% of people who say they attend church regularly read the Bible more than once a week? 45%. So that's less than half of us here, plus those who aren't here today, read the Bible more than once a week. And I bet if you drilled that down, and if we're all really honest, how many times a week is that really? Is it twice a week? Three times a week? And I can be guilty of this, just like the next person. So we must ask ourselves some hard questions here of what is it that keeps us from reading the Bible? You know, when we say yes to one thing, we're saying no to something else. Are we, are we saying yes to something mediocre or just good and saying no to what is best? Maybe it's even a lack of interest. You're not alone if you have ever said reading the Bible's boring. In fact, I would wager that almost every Christian has come across that at some point in their life. Thinking that it's boring and, and not applicable. But that boring feeling that we might have in it is not an indicator that we should stop reading it. In fact, I believe it's an indicator of we need to maybe learn how to read it better. Not just merely glancing over the words, but that we would eat into it and consume it to become a part of us, to be flavored by the words of the Lord. You know, it's, it's been proven time and time again that we, we make time for what's important to us. And so if we say we're too busy to read God's word, if we're too busy to pray, 
What's more important to us than that in our lives? Maybe there's a hobby or a second job or social media or relationship, perhaps even laziness. And if we're not sure, ask somebody closest to you. They'll probably know. And as far as how to better study the Bible, I'd like to share with you this morning a acronym that David Platt came up to help his congregation do this better. Um, his acronym is MAPS, M-A-P-S. I've added a P on the front of it. Uh, just, I felt like I wanted, to, I wanted prayer to be in here twice. So I, my acronym is P-M-A-P-S, P-MAPS. Um, not because it's Patterson Maps and I've hijacked his acronym. But let's walk through these together because I, I want to make sure that not only are we hearing the truth of God's word, but I'm also, we're being equipped together to better study God's word because I think that that's, that's often the case as we just don't understand or know what to do. So the first letter, P, is pray. Psalm 119, 18 says, Open my eyes that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. And then Paul praying this for the saints in Ephesians 3, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, the width, and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. All of that is from his word. We need the counsel and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in order to even be able to begin to grasp God's word. And so I propose that when you pick up the Bible to pray first, Lord, guide me, teach me, help me understand and comprehend this. The disciples walked with Jesus for three years and still all the way up to the end missed many of the things he was saying. And while we have God's word with us today, the living word, we still need the Holy Spirit's guidance and help. M is actually two words. It's meditate and memorize. Meditate and memorize. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. And then Psalm 1.1 through 3 how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. If you want to know how to prosper and what God intends for us to prosper in, not the world. It's here. In meditating and memorizing, we should read the Bible prayerfully, humbly, reflectively, and keep a journal. It's amazing how much additional benefit there is when we journal our thoughts and our reflections and our observations, what God teaches us. Be patient. Nobody becomes a scholar or starts Bleeding scripture, if you will, overnight. Be patient with yourself. Ask yourself these questions. What is happening in the passage? What does the passage teach about who God is, who we are, who Jesus is, and how we follow him? 
Remember those questions. Maybe write them in the front of your Bible so that as you pick up your Bible to read and you've prayed and you're wanting to meditate and memorize, you're wanting to go deeper. Okay, okay, what what does this passage teach me about God? What is this passage teaching me about Jesus? What am I supposed to do with this? What is my response? How do I follow him better through this? Memorize key verses, passages, even chapters. And I'll admit, I don't know that there's ever been a, pass, a full chapter I've memorized longer than like Psalm 23 or some of the shorter Psalms. But understanding what it's saying, even if you can't quote it verbatim, can be such a relief in those moments when you can't pick up the scriptures, when you can't pick up your Bible. Driving down the road and, and anxiety or fear or stress or whatever comes upon you. And being able to recall God's promises and his truth in those moments. Not to mention opportunities to share that truth with others. Dig deeper. How many times just in Colossians in this series have we found additional treasure and meaning in the words and sayings used when we looked further into the context and the history and the meaning of the original Greek? Where these words literally just start begin to jump off the page and not just... You know, for example, compassion, you know, that keeps coming up. Or even this morning, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's, it's more than just dwelling in us. It's abundantly influencing us for good in full measure. So the third letter, A, is apply. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then in 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul instructing Timothy, the young pastor, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. And then David Platt says that there's, there's three application parts here. The head, the heart, and the hands. Head, how does this passage transform your thoughts? Another question to ask ourselves. Our heart, how does this passage transform your desires? And then with our hands, how does this passage transform our actions? P, again, is pray again. I don't think we can pray enough. It's not possible. Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Have we, have we turned to God in prayer when we're overwhelmed by the recent news and world events? Have we turned to God in prayer when we've gone to the store because we're literally out of toilet paper and we just need some? And there's none. <laughs> have you turned to God in prayer or have you just been like, this is ridiculous. What an opportunity we have, just even in our countenance, if we do have to go to the store right now. One of smiling, letting others go in front of us. If there is toilet paper on the shelf, letting somebody else get the last one, if need be, knowing we can get napkins or paper towels, right? 1 John 5.14 also says, this is, the, this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then Platt also has 
a helpful acronym when it comes to praying. P-R-A-Y. Praise according to God's word. Repent according to God's word. A, ask according to God's word. Y, yield to God's word. The last letter is S, share. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children, parents. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. In other words, the word of God should be what we talk about more than anything else with our kids, with our loved ones. And the symbology of writing it on the doorposts of our house and having it on our foreheads is where we are sharing it with those around us beyond the walls of our home. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen to 20, very familiar to us. The second part of our mission statement here, as well as the GC squared life we talk about a lot. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are to share what we learn. And as we journal and write down what we've learned, we have opportunities to share that. In fact, there are more opportunities we have than we realize. How many times do people offer advice or things they've learned on the internet or whatever? And what if we were like, instead of saying, yeah, I saw on Facebook the other day, what if we said, you know what? I was studying the Bible the other day. And you know what it said? It said this. I think that's incredible. What if we answered with that? Instead of, you know, I saw this article or I was listening to the news or you know, I was studying the Bible the other day, and you know what I learned? People be like, what? We might even treat each other that way within this faith family. Because it would be different. We might, our first thought might even be, what a Bible thumper. What a goody two two Christian. In reality, we should be like, you know what? High five. <laughs> High five. I want to be like that. The majority of the people groups of the world still do not have the entire word of God in their language. They still don't have this in their language, which is why our church body supports a ministry like Pioneer Bible Translators. And yet most of us have more than one copy, if not multiple. We can download it for free. And yet, we all too often neglect the single most important and best way to grow in our relationship to Christ, to navigate this life, the opportunity to have hope and assurance during our darkest hours, God's word. Instead, we should think of it Marvel at this. Stand in awe of this. The God who keeps watch over the nations like some people keep watch over cattle or stock markets or construction sites. This God still speaks in the 21st century. 
By this voice, he speaks with absolute truth and personal force. By this voice, he reveals his all-surpassing beauty. By this voice, he reveals the deepest secrets of our hearts. No voice anywhere, anytime can reach as deep or lift as high or carry as far as the voice of God that we hear in the Bible. And brothers, sisters, let us commit to fill up on Scripture, praying, meditating, memorizing, applying, praying more, and sharing what we learn. Making it of utmost value in our lives. We'll go through the next two headings a little bit more quickly, but I needed to make a concentrated effort on establishing the baseline here and the importance of our individual and corporate time in the Word. So our second heading is this, teach and encourage each other through song. Teach and encourage each other through song. And let the Word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And as we are filled up to the point of overflowing, that we sing praise to God with what spills out his word. See, singing is an important, vital part of our gathering. This is why we do it. It's not just a tradition. It's more than that. I would also encourage you to make it a part of your daily individual life. How many of us have windshield time? Right? In the car, nobody else around. You don't have to worry about if you're on key or not. We can sing. We can sing to our creator, our maker, our savior. And it's tempting to think that singing is optional. But yet here, we are commanded to do so. And why is this? Why, why are we commanded to sing, especially when we gather together? I believe it's two things. One, we're praising God from the overflow of what he's done in and through our hearts, through his word in our hearts. And two, we are teaching and encouraging each other as we sing. Did you realize that when you sing out loud, your voice singing the words and truth of Scripture behind you, in front of you, beside you. Your voice being heard is encouraging your brother and sister with the truth of God's word as you're singing to God. You see, if we don't feel like singing in church or, or rarely seeing what kind of the rhetorical question here, what might be neglecting in other parts of our lives is our first heading we're not being filled up allowing God's words to indwell in us richly as if you're filled up if you're filled up with the truth of God and the realization that we are dearly loved and chosen it's gonna come out it's gonna spill out and it doesn't mean you've got to be the loudest singer. It doesn't mean your hands got to be raised or your eyes closed. It doesn't mean that necessarily. That different people express it in different ways. That's okay. But it's going to come out. What if we're more prone to sing songs of this world rather than songs about God or to Him? 
what might be filling up our hearts instead. He's I'm not, I'm not please know I'm not asking any of these questions or making these statements out of condemnation in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I, I too have moments of wanting to sing a good old, you know, classic rock or country song or and I like all sorts of music. I like classical to rap. I mean, and everything in between. And so, I mean, there's, there's songs that come on and, or I'll hear at a restaurant and I'll be like, oh yeah, I remember this one from, you know. We all have that. And I'm not suggesting that we have to throw out all of our old CDs or anything like that. But I do long for us to be aware of our tendencies and our hearts in this. Are we more likely to sing karaoke to some secular band that has nothing to do with God than we are to sing the truth of Him to Him here as we gather? You see, the words that we sing are extremely important. It's, we spend considerable thought and prayer every week, don't we, Tina, in picking out the songs that we sing here when we gather Almost every Wednesday night we have discussions and talk on this and pray about it and how does this best highlight what's going to be taught through the word to help us respond to God and what he's teaching us. And it's also why we should not carelessly just sing along with just anything. If we're willing to sing it, we should carefully examine those words and and wonder and realize what we're really singing. Not be like the younger kids. You know, we all have our past and our history. When we were little, we heard the songs that we thought were cool, and we sang along, and we messed the words up because we thought they were saying something else. And as we got older, we're like, oh my word, they were saying that. (laughs) Wow, I sang that when I was like eight. (laughs) That's horrible. (laughs) Hopefully nobody heard me. (laughs) But we would be cautious and what we sing. Even when it comes to Christian mainstream songs and what's on the radio, to be cautious. There are some that have really great choruses and then in some of the verses, they, they're off. They're theologically off. And do we want to sing what's not true according to God's word to him? See, if we're going to open up our hearts to be filled up with and sing out, we have a responsibility to ensure that it's the truth of God's holy word. We are to live as wise people, like it says in Ephesians 5, to be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we are alone, when we are alone or, or even together and we're overcome by the goodness of God, sing. I saw a video posted where uh, people in line for hours and hours at a Sam's Club in Alabama. And a guy broke out in song and hymns and people started singing along. It changed the mood of that store like that. Because they were singing about our God and to our God. We should fill up on Scripture and then teach and encourage each other through our song.
Our third heading is this, worship in everything. Worship in everything. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Worship is significantly more than what we do together here every week. I know the sign above the doors you walk in is called Worship Center. And I understand why worship centers are named that or we call our team up here the worship team or whatever, but that's not the only place worship happens when we sing. You see, worship truly is a response to who God is and what he's accomplished through Christ. And our response to him and what he's accomplished through Christ is in everything we do. Not just when we sing, not just when we open the word and, and we hear from God's word, like in this gathering or this setting, or when we read God's word, or when we pray, we can actually worship God through our conversation with our neighbor. We can worship God when we go get groceries. We can worship God when we're doing chores around the house. We can worship God at work. We can worship God cleaning a toilet. We can worship God changing a diaper. We can worship God shaving. We can worship God in everything we do. In fact, we should. Because again, our worship is not tied to how we're feeling or our circumstance. Worship is tied to who God is and what Christ has done for us on the cross. And in that, whether we're quarantined or whether we are in the hospital for other reasons or whether our bank account's negative or our jobs really stink right now, we can still worship Him. I heard this recently. Are we more known as Christians by how attached we are to our smartphone or the cleverness of our social media posts or our ability to cook or decorate or our careers or hobbies or even how well behaved our kids are rather than our love for Christ and our worship of him? that is very convicting to me. If I am known out in public as somebody who's always in their laptop because I'm prepping for the next sermon or Bible study or whatever it is, I'm not known as somebody who engages with others and encouraging or shares Christ with them as opportunity permits. Or you, you're more known for what you do instead of who you are and who you love. I think the remedy is more time in this. 
because we'll be filled up by it and we can't help but overflow. So we're to worship and give God the glory and praise in everything we do. We do this by seeking his will in all things. We do this by giving him glory in all things. We do this by giving up things that distract us from knowing God better. By the way, those are called idols, not just the wooden and concrete things. Anything that pulls us away from God's word, knowing him better is an idol. So friends, let us fill up on scripture, teach and encourage each other through song. Let us worship in everything. And as I close praying over our text for us this morning, the worship team come back up and we're going to get to practice what we just learned. And practice teaching and admonishing each other in song, singing to our creator and maker. Having been filled up with the truth of his word this morning. So let me pray as the team comes back up. Father God, we ask that your word would dwell richly among us. God, that we would take concerted efforts to do our part in learning and meditating and memorizing and applying and praying and sharing your word with others. And God, that in all wisdom and teaching, we demonish each other through psalms, hymns, in spiritual songs, God, we would sing to you with gratitude in our hearts. Filled up and overflowing with your truth. And Father, as impossible and as hard as it seems to do, we know that through you we can accomplish this because it's your will. And so we ask, Lord, that whatever we do in word or deed, that we would do everything In your name, Jesus. Whether it's a menial task or singing to you, we give thanks to you, God our Father. In Jesus' name, amen.